What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straup and this is part two of your week 17 fantasy preview show. Part one covered the Rams, Ravens, Jags, Patriots, Dolphins, Titans, Cardinals, Cowboys, Broncos, Chargers, Texans, Niners, and Lions, Seahawks. We are here today to cover the remaining nine games and to break them down, I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Darty, Denny Carter, and guys... With all the injuries, all the guys on the COVID list, our, our fantasy rosters ravaged more by the day, real-life rosters by the day. It's just been an agonizing stretch for those of us who play fantasy football, but I do have a positive note that I want to start on here. Now, this could change, given that as we record this, there are still about 32 hours left in the calendar year, but it is looking like our own Danny Carter is going to make it through the year without getting fired, so I just wanted to acknowledge that. It's a, it's a big deal. 32 hours is a long time. And I, I recently had a tweet of, about putting nothing on a hamburger <laughs> and, and, and no topping. So I'm, I'm actually afraid that that might do it. We'll see. Well, part of our legal strategy has also been that knowing there's no way Denny would have lawyers that actually work on New Year's Eve. So <laughs> we've been planning to pounce all year oh. tomorrow. So hopefully uh, Denny. Yeah. I mean, just uh, keep him on speed dial. That's all I can say. We are overlooking the point here. You just eat meat and bread like that's it i know i know well the the tweet was if ketchup's not available what do you put on this patty and i said nothing and i meant it you know you just just put nothing mustard's disgusting well i mean a lot of people know this i mean i think we probably all know this but denny he doesn't like cheese he thinks that cheese is bad nature's most glorious substance and denny thinks cheese is bad yeah, well, you're in the pocket of big cheese, so I don't know what, what I don't that know what else you need that. to know. What else more you need to know about the guy? I've been on Team Denny in throughout this whole legal battle quietly, <laughs> like in the background here. But this this sauceless, cheeseless burger that we're talking about <laughs> may tilt the scales for me. I, I get it. I, I get it. That. I'm not going to even blame you. By the way, producer Adam says he doesn't like cheese either. So there there are dozens of us. <laughs> there are yeah. the He's never cheesers. Well. We are they are legion. <laughs> um, That's right. <laughs> 
All right, we start our nine games with the Chiefs at the Bengals. Points bet has this one with a total of 51. Kansas City favored by five. Uh, With no Travis Kelsey last week, we saw Patrick Mahomes throw for 258 yards and three touchdowns against the Steelers. Pat, what does the ceiling look like for KC? The ceiling look like for KC or for Mr. Travis Kelsey is uh, Mr. Match Drop. For Travis Kelsey, I think the ceiling is probably his second best game of the season. He's not going to get 191 yards again. But I think you can trust Travis Kelsey. He's like all systems go top three. The, the Bengals allow the fourth most passing yards in the league. They allow the seventh most tight end fantasy points in the league. So Travis Kelsey, zero fear. You can get a weak winning week from him. For the Chiefs in general, I mean, the 51 over under really helps. The Bengals pass game vulnerability compared to their vulnerability on the ground really helps. No CEH maybe like helps the offensive environment for the Chiefs since they removes part of the temptation mm-hmm. to run and before Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey both landed on the COVID list, I mean, Tyree Kill got cleared for week 16. Like the root of their week 15 success was just going back to basics and just targeting Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill a million times. And that will be a good offensive strategy against the Cincinnati Bengals because, yeah, that's where they're vulnerable in the past. They've been prone to shootouts. And, yeah, I think that the Chiefs' offensive ceiling – even you never quite know what to expect from guys coming back from the COVID list. And Travis Kelsey did miss the game. So he couldn't get cleared while Tyreek Hill did get cleared. But I think you have to really, really like the offensive environment for the Chiefs and their overall fantasy upside this week. I would think you could trust Tyreek Hill a little more in this matchup as well. Got cleared on Saturday. And as we've seen time and time again this year, you get that late clearance. It really doesn't matter. You're still so fatigued that you can't play through. Hence Tyreek Hill's 42% snap rate in that game. But now we are, what, 10 Eight days removed. Every day just melts together now uh, from his last game. So I would imagine yeah, that he's just back no to full force being that high floor option. Remember, like until Derwin James got injured, though, Tyreek Hill hadn't eclipsed 100 yards in over two months. Like as the Chiefs offense changed from week nine on. And since that time, Patrick Mahomes leads the league in yards after the catch production because they essentially just dumped the ball off now. Tyreek Hill wasn't really a ceiling option. He did spike a three-touchdown game in there, but overall, you were more or less playing him for the 30% target share and the double-digit receptions he kept on accruing. And so I think that's the type of performance we get in this game as well. Pat, that was a good point about, you know, before the COVID apocalypse uh, in Week 16, you know, they they went back to the bread and butter, which is just like nobody else exists in this offense. It's Kelsey, Tyreek, Kelsey, Tyreek. And that's the way they got it done against the Chargers. I, I could see that. I could see them going right back to that here. Nagel made a good point about Derwin James, too, getting hurt in that game. But that yeah. was already a point of emphasis before that. But that did uh, really, really help. Don't chase the Byron Pringle line from last week. No. Don't, don't do that. No. All right, well, as alluded to, we're trending toward no CEH this week due to that collarbone injury. Didn't practice again Thursday. Daigle, what do you make of this backfield in Week 17, and is the mentor, Daryl Williams, ready to bring home some fantasy titles? He's always ready to bring home fantasy titles when you let him. Uh, We've already seen this before as well. We have five games of evidence without Clyde Edwards-Alaire this year, and Daryl Williams averaged 18.5 touches, 5.5 targets, and an 11.5% target share. Derek Gore was active for four of those five games. He averaged 5.5 carries, Total just two targets. We even saw last week it took a 30 to 6 lead for Derek Gore to get a single touch on the team's final two possessions. So it's going to be Daryl Williams full speed ahead, unless the Chiefs build like a substantial lead, then we get Derek Gore. We, meanwhile, have been clamoring for the Bengals to air it out more, and we we got it last week in a big way. Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase all went nuts against Baltimore. 525 yards, four touchdowns for Burrow. 12 catches, 194 yards, a couple scores for Higgins, 125 yards for Chase. 
Denny, can we bank on that same aggressive approach carrying over against Kansas City? Barring sort of out of control game script, I, I think we're we're in for a more uh, frustrating day as far as the pass catchers go for the Bengals. And I think we're, we're looking more at a Joe Mixon centric type game plan. Uh, Kansas City, since their defense kind of got rejuvenated around midseason, is allowing the league's fifth lowest adjusted EPA per drop back and the 11th highest adjusted EPA uh, against the rush. In other words, that just rolls it, off the tongue, by the way. Uh, yeah, I'll translate that from nerd to human. Uh, they, they, the Chiefs have been much easier to run against than pass against over that stretch. So I, I do, I think that we're going to see the Bengals. We're not going to see the Bengals do what they did last week, which is very smart at attacking a Ravens, an injury riddled Ravens secondary uh, that can't stop anybody, and uh, they didn't take their foot off the gas. An- another concern here is that. Um, as Joe Burrow goes, the Bengals go. I mean, you know, and, and he's under constant arrest. Uh, the Chiefs have the seventh highest quarterback pressure rate. They're going against a Bengals offensive line graded by pro football focus as the league's eighth worst. Um, I think they're, you know, they could, if game script stays neutral here, kind of protect Burrow with that run game. Denny, by the way, the Chiefs, so they've allowed more than one passing score only one time in their past five games. And that's been a, a soft schedule for the Chiefs. They did have Dak Prescott mixed in there. And so the Chiefs are kind of like everybody. There's so so little good quarterback play this year that they're like feasting on yeah. really good schedules. But yeah, the last time they faced a really good passing attack, Dallas, they also shut it down. So after Joe Burrow coming off a literally historic performance against the league's worst pass defense, much, much, much tougher test this week. You are – Correct, Denny. I think I'm very skeptical on this Bengals offense. You're still starting these guys in redraft leagues, of course, but we've seen a little bit of fake toughness from Zach Taylor whenever he plays the Ravens this year. You remember him and Jarden Harbaugh have beef. They were even passing the Bengals were when they were at 30 in the fourth quarter, so much so that like afterwards for the postgame handshake, Harbaugh walked out and literally just mouthed, like, what the hell are you doing? He didn't understand what was going on, why he didn't just try to get out of there and run the ball. But now – in two games this year, the Bengals have passed on 58% of their first downs for 10.7 yards per attempt. And in their 13 other games, 43% on first down, the fifth row lowest rate in the league in those contests. So I do think we get more heavy Joe Mixon. And the frustrating part about that is Joe Mixon's receiving game usage doesn't really consistently come along with him. It just pops up out of nowhere right. and goes away. <laughs> He's had six games this year with at least four targets, but in three of those in the next game, no more than one target. And last week we saw good usage, 35 routes on 55 dropbacks, six targets. But is this going to be a game where we just get early down carries? Because now he hasn't been over four yards per carry in over a month. So like, if that's the case, you're really just playing him as a touch-based option and hoping for touchdowns. Next up, the Falcons travel to Buffalo, where things threaten to potentially get ugly. According to points bet, this game has a total of 44, with the Bills as 14.5-point favorites. Uh, Josh Allen took out some frustration on the Patriots last week, and one way he did so was by getting Isaiah McKenzie heavily involved, 11 catches, 125 yards, and a touchdown uh, with no Cole Beasley, but Beasley's back, Gabriel Davis is back, Emmanuel Sanders was a DNP Thursday. So trying to sort out this receiver room, Daigle, was this a true one-off for McKenzie Daigle? Uh, or do you think we could see uh, some of the uh, McKenzie intrigue carry over? Unfortunately, for as well as he played, we talked about it both on the preview show and start-sit show, uh, Isaiah McKenzie is the player they put in place whenever Cole Beasley's out. So with Beasley back, I genuinely imagine McKenzie just goes back to the bench 
for the larger extent of this game. More importantly, since there's lots of moving pieces here, recall the last game we had without Sanders. And Sanders' availability is important because that's what unlocks Gabriel Davis. The last game, 90% routes run on Josh Allen's dropbacks actually led the team in routes run and target share. So if Emmanuel Sanders out, we know then we can go back to Gabriel Davis on the waiver wire because he was probably dropped thinking he was going to be on the COVID list this upcoming game. Yeah, and Emmanuel Sanders, by the way, I think he's probably genuinely questionable. I mean, there's a chance it's just maintenance, and there's a chance he didn't even suffer a setback, but the bill or the Bills can now take the long view. They know they don't need all hands on deck to beat, sorry, Matt, the Atlanta Falcons this week, and I think there's a real chance Emmanuel Sanders actually does sit out. Uncalled for, Pat. No, uncalled for, Pat. Uncalled for. I, I held my tongue long enough. Un, uncalled for. Yeah, Isaiah McKenzie thing, by the way, he's, this wasn't the first time he's popped. It was the first time he's popped like that. I think, though, they intentionally kind of scale back his usage, maybe because of his size, and it just seems like someone they don't want to overexpose. They like having available on special teams. They like having available as a super sub, and he looked so good. I mean, he looked more dynamic than Cole Beasley did last week. Then Cole Beasley has the season, but I do agree with Daigle that he probably just sadly goes right back under wraps. Him, Khalif Raymond, and Daryl Williams, I will always have a soft spot for because I think they're actually like good NFL players that don't just ever get a fair chance at anything. If the Bills went to uh, a Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, three wide receivers set, they're winning the Super Bowl. Like just, just, just end the season. There, no one can stop that in that trio. And then even if McKenzie got hurt, they'd have Cole Beasley uh, ace up their sleeve. So, yeah, they should do it. But clearly be very wary. I don't think we can go back to McKenzie and redraft leagues. On the Falcons side of things, we saw Kyle Pitts go over 100 yards for the first time since week seven. Six targets, six catches, 102 yards. Denny, in a game where the Falcons uh, threatened to get slaughtered here, how, do, how does this matchup look against the Bills? I really uh, – I'm trying to find a way. At least I was trying to find a way for – to see a path toward the Falcons competing here, I just uh, I'm I'm struggling, man. I'm struggling. Uh, you know, Pitts Pitts's game last week was nice, but uh, I mentioned on the Tuesday podcast with Pat that uh, Pitts is still only being targeted on 21 percent of his pass routes over the past four weeks. That's in line with guys like Jared Cook and and Zach Ertz. the The matchup is really ugly. Tight ends are seeing a 17 percent target share against Buffalo. That's the third lowest in the entire league so you know he's uh i think he's a very borderline type of a play but but honestly you're not going to find anybody else on the waiver wire like you're not like don't don't go and start like foster moreau over uh pits right guys right yeah i mean if you have kyle pitts in your roster there's almost a zero percent chance you have a, a better backup option and along with the target share they allow also the third fewest tight end fantasy points so and we know that Matt Ryan just won't pull the trigger on those tough throws in the red zone, but you have to—you have no other choice. He at least has a four-catch, forty-yard floor, and even that is like tight end one production basically this year. So he's in the lineup. The one second grace is also we'll see what happens. But Hayden Hurst was put on the COVID list on Wednesday, and there are lots of like sneakily cluster situations we're still watching we'll talk about a few others as we move along here that are going to open up more opportunity and targets for starters and i think that's one of them that we should be aware of as we get closer to kickoff or call pits it's tragic that we have to that we'd have to have hayden hurst miss the game in order for kyle pitts <laughs> right. to to get good usage he got the end zone target hurst did last week over pitts too despite the 100 yards i i am aware it's all that not great now watch lee smith oh, get yeah, five targets uh, uh, you know what's happening team Lee Smith revenge game? You did for a long time. Anyways, uh, speaking of 
Speaking of tragic, Cordero Patterson has really disappeared uh, when we've needed him the most. 18 carries for 32 yards the last two games combined. Pat, I'm asking you this, but I feel like we already know the answer. Can he bounce back this week? Do we, can we have any faith in Patterson's usage yielding some production? You can have faith in a playmaker popping up to make some plays, which he's done in both phases of the game all year. But this is the first week where it felt like he deserved a big-time rankings fade, You know, over two touchdown underdogs. Mm. The Bills are softer on the ground than through the air, but they've generally had problems with like power rushing attacks. Cordero Patterson's not part of a power rushing attack. He's still not a power back, even though he's a tackle breaker. He's not like a power back. And what I really think the issue is, and the Bill, or the, excuse me, the Falcons have kind of alluded to this, is really just, yeah, like a, a steam, like a stamina thing. His 189 right. touches are more than double his previous career high. I just, it seems. Like again, he's a playmaker who makes plays. Like you can always count on like a big play or a touchdown, but I think he's like an RB two flex borderline bet this week. And you can't count on workload anymore. You can't count on the matchup this week. And yet you're just kind of betting on a talented player scoring touchdowns. And there are worse gambits in fantasy football. But yeah, just be under no illusions about like what kind of play he is this week. To that point, I think it was last week right here. One of you guys uh, paraphrased a quote where Patterson was basically saying. And playing running back is hard. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think he got a rest day on Thursday, If I, unless I hallucinated that. He did. We talked about it two weeks ago that he got back to his normal role at 62% of the snaps and then just came back down this past week. Like, you were lucky to get a touchdown out of him. It came in the first quarter. It was a little goal line run. And so, yeah, it's just no longer a consistent option that we are hoping he is. On the other side of the ball, though, Devin Singletary has quietly become a consistent option. The last three games, healthy scratching, one or the other of Zach Moss or Matt Breida. Meanwhile, Singletary has handled 50 of 58 backfield touches in that game. This game script honestly reminds me a lot of the Bills game against the Panthers, where Josh Allen's going to put up some touchdowns, but game script entails cruising and keeping it easy on Allen and just allowing Devin Singletary to run wild with 20-plus carries. So I absolutely love him this week. Not only as a strong RB2, but like DFS pivot off of Josh Allen's stacks as well. Yeah, Daigle, he's played at least 68% of the snaps each of the past three weeks. And this Part of this feels like a philosophical shift from the Bills. Even though they put the whole Week 16 game plan on Josh Allen's shoulders, they definitely seem like they're trying to get their run game in order with the postseason on the horizon, and that their solution has been to finally commit to one back, and it's Devin Singletary. The Raiders travel to Indy to face the Colts, a total of 44.5 according to points bet. Indianapolis, 6.5 point favorites. The door is still open as of Thursday for Carson Wentz to return, but as of this taping on Thursday, it's looking like there's a real possibility that Sam Ellinger will be under center for the Colts. Now, obviously, we would start Jonathan Taylor in fantasy videos, Pat Darty under center for the Colts, but... <laughs> What would Ellinger mean, Danny, for Michael Pittman and others? I mean, if Wentz is out, do we need to consider avoiding any Colt not named Jonathan Taylor? Uh, no offense to Pat, but I, I actually would uh, would fade Jonathan Taylor. You would still bench him? That's, if, uh, that's if, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, that's actually probably a good idea. I don't think I could master the handoff in I three don't, or four days. I don't think <laughs> so many fumbles. There would be so, so many fumbles. Or the very first snap would just break my thumb. Yeah, Like exactly. Ryan Kelly turns around, it's just like glaring at me. My thumb's just dangling. I have a brother-in-law who <laughs> thinks that he can complete an NFL pass, and it's the funniest thing ever. Um, all right, yeah. Uh, like in a game, in a game setting? setting, yeah, and oh, he's wow. convinced. He's, he's convinced. thinking like an RB flare out or something. And he takes the the shotgun snap. It's your brother Derek from Step Brothers. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I mean it it is it's basically that like Amazing. he think he he thinks he can do a wide receiver screen and I'm like, "No. <laughs> no, you can't." No. Uh, the, the the flats are actually like the hardest yeah. pass to make actually. Yeah, like a wide receiver screen too, you got to like get it out there with some velocity. You loft that it's a pick 6. I mean, he has an arm, but let's get real. Okay. Yeah, Ellinger would be pretty much a disaster, but I think you 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 still are starting Pittman. So I, I looked up his preseason stats because I had kind of forgotten how bad he was. But Ellinger completed about 68% of his preseason passes for three interceptions and no touchdowns. Uh, he reportedly has a rocket arm, and that was uh, that showed up a little bit in the preseason, nine and a half yards per attempt in those games. So I, I, I think you, you can still start Pittman. I, I, don't, I just don't know if you're going to have somebody on your bench who would – who would be better, like a better volume option here? But uh, yeah, lower your expectations, obviously. If if Wentz is out, well, he's kind of Sam is kind of a dual threat too. But I think I think Carson Wentz is playing. I think Carson Wentz was like the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of the NFL was like yeah. getting rid of the COVID protocol, basically. Or it kind of like felt like they were changing the protocols. Like we don't want quarterbacks missing games with playoff implications. And so I sort of I have a very strong suspicion Carson Wentz is going to get cleared between now and Sunday. That was uh, Ian Book. Like it took yeah. Ian Book playing football oh, for the NFL to say, "Okay, we have reached our line. No more of this, <laughs> especially on prime time." Uh, nonetheless, yeah, Pittman more of a floor play, even with Carson Wentz playing. Like one of the most exaggerated storylines right now is how good Carson Wentz has oh. been. When we look back at like interception look on Football Outsiders, even though Wentz's EPA has been strong, it's such like a farce metric for Wentz because he's been so bad. And honestly, like on Saturday night, for as much as I bashed him, he did make a couple like first round flash throws. Like he was, there were some throws like I could not believe rolling out he made, but he's been just terrible. And so Pittman has been dragged along with them, literally has has eclipsed 80 yards just once since November. And so it's more of a floor option, honestly. And if he's just a floor option with Wentz, he's probably like a wide receiver four or five with Ellinger. So I would be worried. You know, I, I'm in a couple tight end premium leagues where I'm looking to play Dalton Schultz or someone over Pittman if it's Ellinger under center. But we'll wait to see when we get there. As for the Raiders, we saw a season-high 27 carries for 129 yards for Josh Jacobs last week against Denver. Daigle, can we expect some carryover for that kind of workload from Jacobs, which we hadn't seen in the in the weeks leading up to last week? Yeah, and they just can't do anything else. They just lack so much explosiveness without Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller. Um, even Hunter Renfro, that juice has run its course as well recently. Derek Carr just completing 25% of his throws, 20-plus yards downfield since Raiders by, as they still struggle to con- to score points weekly. So, yeah, it, it's just an offense that lacks pop right now, honestly. And we have seen a little bit of change where they're relying on Foster Moreau more in his last three games, 97% of the snaps for six-and-a-half targets per game in that span. But overall, like when your best receivers are Hunter Renfro, Zay Jones, and Foster Moreau, like your offense, for better or worse, has to run through Josh Jacobs. Yeah, sorry if you mentioned this, but Darren Waller, you know, we thought he might finally come back this week, and now he's on the COVID list. And yeah. Even if he gets cleared from the COVID protocols and the fact that he couldn't practice at all now makes it just pretty unlikely that he's going to play. I have a, a Josh Jacobs thought slash stat here. Uh, if if the Raiders can hang – I mean, this is assuming Wentz plays and everything, but if the Raiders can hang in there, I think Josh Jacobs is in a really good spot. Uh, the Colts – are and this is this is surprising me allowing the third highest uh, EPA per rush and the second highest rushing success rate since week nine. So when teams 
when teams have been able to establish it against the Colts, they it's been it's it's worked out. It's it's and I think that the Raiders can do that if unless game script goes haywire, of course. Josh Jacobs, by the way, he's sixth in the league in carries since John Gruden resigned. Wow. So his usage has just really, really spiked. The Eagles travel to Washington, where there's a total of 45, according to points bet. Philly favored by three and a half. Arguably the biggest fantasy storyline for the Eagles heading into this one is the backfield. So no Miles Sanders this week. Jordan Howard was back at practice on Thursday. He's dealing with that stinger. So that complicated things, obviously, Pat. It was starting to look like maybe a Boston Scott week. Uh, Now it's a Howard slash Boston Scott week and what does that do for this whole scenario I think it is still a Boston Scott week in terms of like the overall touch leader but Jordan Howard I mean it's just hard to believe he wouldn't get the first crack at the goal line carries and then if he's getting the first crack I mean Jalen Hurts probably gets the second crack and in a run heavy offense when there's just so much run game volume it's definitely not outside the realm of possibility that Boston Scott will get like actual goal line carries actual red zone touches but yeah it's it would have been hard to keep him out of the top 24 if Jordan Howard was out. But Jordan Howard, I think he's actually still in the top 30, top 36. I just, I think he will be the touch leader just because he's the most versatile back. Jordan Howard is coming off, you know, several injuries before the stinger. You know, he had just come back from the knee. So I really like the touch outlook for Boston Scott. It's just hard to get excited about the touchdown outlook, which is so important, as you know, with Jordan Howard likely in the lineup. But it, it's a, it's a rough part of the board, though. Like in the RB, like 24 to 30 range, like Ramondre Stevenson would be a good option for you if you have him in there. And then Antonio Gibson, AJ Dillon, Tony Pollard. I mean, we're getting in then like Dare Agunbawale, Rex Burkhead land. And I think I'm probably still playing Boston Scott over most of those people, but it's admittedly an uncertain situation. I'm not worried about Kenneth Gainwell. I don't know if anyone else has a different Kenneth Gainwell take, but it just seemed like they never, anytime they cannot commit to Kenneth Gainwell, they do not commit to Kenneth Gainwell. And I, I wouldn't really consider him this week. Kenneth Gainwell was active last week in a game they lost Howard and Sanders in, and he still only played two snaps to Boston Scott's 19. Like, they're just not going to play Gainwell unless they build a big lead. But, of course, they do that. It's because of Boston Scott and or Jordan Howard. So you're totally fine. Um, Also, like, normally a terrifying matchup. Washington still, despite being ravaged with injuries, played good run defense, just 3.9 yards per carry, allowed to opposing running backs. But also, we've seen so many instances this year, including the Saints and Bucks in, like, the last couple of months, that the Eagles' offensive line and system trumps whatever situation they have with their opponents. They're just a stronger unit. And so I still expect them to just literally move Boston bodies out of the way for whomever's at running back. Washington, despite you said like kind of holding up against Ezekiel Elliott in the run, probably was the worst overall game by any NFL team this season. So yeah. you got to like the matchup. Devontae Smith had five catches for 80 yards in his score. His first touchdown since week 10 last week. Denny, on the one hand, it, it seems pretty terrifying to rely on Devontae Smith, but uh, the matchup is obviously intriguing. How do you approach Smith here? It's it's a little complicated, and I wish it weren't because Smith would be in a vacuum a, a really solid play. But you know what what Daigle said about the Eagles' offensive line just overpowering and overmatching opponents is true, and I don't see them kind of you know straying from that in Week 17. The you know the the one saving grace might be that uh, Washington opponents this year have the third highest pass rate over expectation. Uh, so teams have really tilted heavily toward the pass uh, against Washington. But, you know, you look at uh, you look at week 15 when these teams played and Philadelphia had a, uh, a 41 percent pass rate. So uh, they, they, they didn't quite 
uh, move away from their formula, their winning formula, and and rightfully so. So I think Devontae Smith is again, you know, k- kind of a, a kind of a thin option who almost has no chance of seeing more than five or six targets in this one. Yeah, he's the kind of guy where like his good week 16 game almost served as an indictment of him because the five catches, seven targets, and 80 yards were all six-week highs. And if that's like your upside, yeah, like the downside is you know, so prevalent. He reaches it every week. It's just he's just a, a good player in a not good situation for a wide receiver. 80 yards and a touchdown. I mean, that's a that's a ceiling game uh, for for Smith or for anybody really in the Eagles' offense. And we still saw Dallas Goddard's usage strong, uh, like 23 routes on Jalen Hurts, 32 dropbacks. It's just been the accuracy of the targets have been less consistent when Jalen Hurts has been under center, but the usage is still elite. So you just keep going back to him. Washington got crushed 56-14 against Dallas last week. Obviously, game just got completely out of hand. Antonio Gibson uh, missed practice Thursday. And I don't, I don't know if you guys are starting to get concerned about his availability or just looking at that as more of a rest day for a guy who's been banged up. But assuming he plays... How does this matchup look for him, Daigle? And are we basically looking away from anyone not named Gibson on this offense? It's just a game script you tell yourself again. And we already have confirmation that Taylor Heineke will start. But Ron Rivera said they're looking to play Kyle Allen in these next couple games as well. So we could have a rotation under center. Daigle, not to interrupt. So he said that. And then weirdly, Scott Turner said today like that they weren't going to rotate quarterbacks. But you know he's he's outranked by the head coach. And they've already – so it's just, that is weird. We're getting mixed signals there. By the way, so I blurred that because I thought that was a very strange quote after the head coach was like very clear that they were going to rotate quarterbacks. So not really sure what's going on there. Between the COVID list and IR, though, they're just so decimated. That's a team that is just trying to get out of the season and move on next year and figure out their bridge quarterback from that point forward. So really hard to have any confidence in any of these players, Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin included. But you're still playing them, unfortunately, just because the usage is still good for McLaurin. We talked about it last week. You got to score a touchdown for him to be a top 24 receiver. Otherwise, it's very ugly. And Antonio Gibson, you just need a touchdown as well. Let's say you have McLaurin on a roster. Pat, looking at your rankings, are there any, what are some of the guys just below McLaurin that we would start to think about, you know, playing over him? McLaurin is someone where I've, I've like oscillated with his ranking all week. I went as low as like wide receiver 33 at one point. Then I got back up to well, – I'm actually only up to wide receiver 31. I ha- I've had him between like the 28 and 33 range. And I, it's just – I just don't know how you can count on anyone. You don't fade him all the way because the upside is always there. And the floor hasn't like totally collapsed. Like he's still almost got a Devontae Smith floor of like four catches for 40 yards. You would think at some point a player this talented could overcome the situation with a big game, but – yeah, I mean, I'm playing Van Jefferson over Terry McLaurin this week. I would play Mike Williams over Terry McLaurin if he comes back from the COVID list. I would maybe play Chase Claypool. I'd probably play Russell Gage and just count on some compiling. Probably playing Darnell Mooney since he always catches five balls for 60 yards but hasn't established that ceiling. I'd play him over like A.J. Green, who's kind of like rotating targets um, with Christian Kirk against a really good Cowboys defense. I'd probably still play him over Devontae Parker. But yeah, I mean, the fact that he's even being discussed amongst these names is an indication of just how far he's fallen. His uh, McLaurin's interesting. His his uh, targets per route run have have really dropped off over the past three three or four weeks. Uh, over the season, they have uh, a twenty four percent. He has a twenty four percent target per route run share. Uh, he has a twenty that's dropped to twenty one percent. It's not a huge drop off, but his peripherals have, peripherals have looked so good that it's a little bit surprising to see that. Next up on our agenda is the Bucks 
traveling to face the Jets and uh, points bet has a total of 45 here. Tampa favored by 13. I'm laughing because the Super Bowl champions facing the Jets has has a lower point spread than the Falcons going to Buffalo. Uh, <laughs> just that one hurt a little bit. Anyways, last week in the game, the Bucks won 32 to six, a score I think we can pretty easily imagine here. It was Ronald Jones carrying it 20 times for 65 yards and a score, while Keyshawn Vaughn went for seven carries, 70 yards and a touchdown, including that long run. Daigle, spinning forward to this week, how are we how are we attacking this Bucks backfield? You're still playing Ronald Jones. We're not too worried about Keyshawn Vaughn, considering Ronald Jones still was the lead horse, got the goal line carry that scored him his touchdown in that game. Also, as we talked about, we did see a little bit of offensive change. They didn't have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Tampa Bay ran only 28 plays within one score of the Panthers, but did finish with their lowest run play rate from neutral situation in any game this year. And so in this one, I would expect Ronald Jones to be heavily involved. However, there is a little bit of, and I'm sure we're jumping segments here really quick, but there is a little bit of like nuance we're watching because there is some motivation. Like Mike Evans, who got removed from the COVID list on Thursday and apparently was very fatigued in practice. Not only do we have to watch for that, but he's only 107 receiving yards away from a $1 million incentive. We also know Antonio Brown is only 11 catches away from a 333K incentive. And that may not seem like much, but remember, week 17 last year, Antonio Brown was 11 catches away from $250,000 incentive. And Brady literally gave him 15 targets, 11 catches for 130 yards and two touchdowns because these bonuses matter to a player like Brady, uh, feeding his teammates. So like, there is some like narrative that actually matters in this game. Brady's a man of the people, Daigle, apparently now uh, these past years. And like you said, too, like the the run play rate was lower. Well, excuse they, they ran less than you expect last week, the Tampa mm-hmm. Bay Bucks. And we know that they don't love Ronald Jones. They still don't fully trust Ronald Jones. We, we know they have no choice but to like heap touches onto his plate. He got 22 last week. 20 is still a really solid over under. Like in a lot of situations, like say this were the Vikings, like you could almost count on 30 touches for Alexander Madison. That's still not the case with Ronald Jones, and I totally agree that we could get a lot more passing than expected for a team that's 13-point favorites against the New York Jets, which that's really sad for the Jets because it's just going to be mean, but it's going to happen. It will be. (laughs) Well, we've seen some very un-Gronk-like numbers the last two weeks from Rob Gronkowski. 13 targets, but just three catches, 52 yards. Pat, any sense of what's going on here? Well, I think maybe part of it is they never really used him this heavily last year. He only cleared 60 snaps four times last year. He's averaging 60 snap, 65 snaps, excuse me, over the past three weeks. He's cleared at least 60 in all three of those games. He's had to run block a lot more. His, his 26, he, run, he, he, ran, he, he ran blocked. He threw 27 run blocks in week 16. He threw 26 in week 14, his two highest totals of the year. You know, that just takes a physical toll. I, I agree. It's been very strange to see Brady and Gronk become so inefficient with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans out of the lineup. You would expect just the opposite, that they would laser in on their connection. Maybe Brady's trying to make downfield targets happen with Gronk that just aren't happening right now with Mike Evans drawing attention. So, yeah, I just think maybe kind of like with Cordell or Patterson, he's just taking a physical toll. He's had a lot of different injuries this year and is probably playing a little more, and they like him too. But all that being said, I'm still expecting them to get this ironed out because he is healthy, at least by the letter of the law, not on the injury report, playing essentially every snap. So it's hard to believe they don't get this connection finally refined this week. Fresh off a season-high snap rate as well. Sometimes – 
it's as simple as saying, well, Antonio Brown can't get a 50% target share again, right? So I expect some of those targets to trickle to Gronk. I think it's an awesome spot for him, especially in DFS, where he'll probably go overlooked by the other elite pay-up tight ends like Mark Andrews, George Kittle, and Travis Kelsey. Yes. Well, and as we always say, the Jets are an everything funnel, and they allow the ninth yep. most tight end fantasy points too, so nothing at all concerning about the matchup. Uh, real quick on on. Gr- on uh, on Gronk's usage last week without Godwin and, and Evans, he ran a route on seventy five percent of the Bucks dropbacks. Uh, that's way up from his season long uh, snap or uh, route rate of sixty percent. So it, it's everything looks good except for the actual production. I was going to say, do we know if Gronk has any looming roster bonuses that could also guide? <laughs> he almost certainly does. I mean, <laughs> I can't imagine that he doesn't. You got like a vet who came out of retirement. I don't have that one on hand. If he does, we do have to talk about the Jets for a second. Uh, let's start with rookies and maybe let's end with rookies michael carter had 16 carries for 118 yards against the jags uh and we want to talk about him in a second but also we were hoping we might see elijah moore in this game but as of thursday he was reportedly still not practicing so denny a two-parter here is carter as clearly too risky to trust as he seems given this matchup and let's say somehow you know things take a turn for elijah moore uh, and he gets back to practice on friday uh what are your thoughts there on carter i i, I think that Man, I mean, you really just have to be uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel as far as like a flex option here uh, against a really tough Tampa run defense in a game where the Jets have, you know, I, I, I'll i say little chance of, you know, seeing the sort of game script where they can establish. So that's just not happening. And, you know, as for Moore, and he's still very iffy, like you said, so I don't want to jump to conclusions on his status for week 17, but um uh, Tampa opponents have the highest pass rate over expectation in the league. It's really not close. Uh, the B- Bucks opponents have the fifth highest uh, EPA per drop back through week, week 16. So they've had some success too. There was one other stat I wanted to read. Oh yeah. Uh, right. Uh, in his three games as a target dominator in the jets offense, Moore was being targeted on 34% of his pass routes, which is higher than any pass catcher in the league, not named Cooper Cup or Jalen Waddle over that span. So really, like, I just want to remind people how dominant he was in the in this offense. Whether he gets a full complement of snaps, I think you're going to just really have to uh, uh, watch reports on Friday and, and Saturday and into Sunday. And if there is no more, if there is no Jameson Crowder, we know that their leading right. receiver will likely be Braxton Berrios, for better or worse. Uh, he did have a team high target share last week. He got a little bit lucky because you got the touchdown because he returned to kickoff 101 yards, but he at least is leading the team in targets, and we know they're going to have to throw no matter the game script. We're here. running it back with Berrios. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Five games down, four to go. First, we're going to take a very quick break. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Give the gift of NBC Sports Edge Plus. This holiday season, get 15% off annual subscriptions when you use the code HOLIDAY15 at checkout. This offer turns to coal on December 31st. So visit NBCSportsEdge.com slash Edge Plus today. And remember... All our premium tools for fantasy, DFS, and betting are included in one low Edge Plus subscription. All right, this is the one we've been waiting for, guys. It's the Giants at the Bears. A total of 37, according to points bet. Chicago favored by six. David Montgomery seems like the clear-cut, no-doubt fantasy starter on the Bears. I mean, we can talk about how this matchup looks for him in DFS if we want to, but I wanted to talk about the Bears' passing game and Darnell Mooney, who is averaging 41.5 receiving yards the last four weeks. Danny, do you see any upside for Mooney here? Uh, Maybe. It's just, it looks like, like you said, it looks like such a David Montgomery uh, game here. The Giants are allowing the third highest uh, rushing success rate since week 10. Only the Steelers, Jets, and Packers have allowed uh, a higher rushing EPA than the, the than the Giants over the season's second half. Uh, the the one saving grace for Mooney is that uh, the Giants happen to be really terrible against the pass as well, uh, which is why they have not turned into like a full-blown run funnel defense this season. Uh, Mooney has a 30% target share I'm sorry, a 30% air yard share since week 11. So I think he's, you know, he's still in play and he usually is in play for, for a splash play. I, I just, I don't know. I don't think he's a volume kind of play here. I think the the bears will establish it hard. I, we all believe in the do factor, right? I mean, that's a scientific fact that it exists because it, it does. I mean, Justin Fields, man, he is overdue to hit a big play. To Darnell Mooney, so please be real. Do fact. And Denny shocking that you wouldn't mention Darnell Mooney's three carries for five yards over the past two weeks. So uh, you're just leaving me on the bone. That is shocking. I, I need to watch the games. I think that yeah, you do. <laughs> I don't really think we need to spend a lot more time on the bears. I mean, if it is fields, it feels a little bit like he missed his window to, kind of save anyone's fantasy season in like a super flex league right i mean would you have any confidence in starting him uh, given that this actually could be a, a favorable matchup anyone have fields if you need a desperate streamer i don't know if it's going to be fields though wouldn't it just be nick Foles? would you go back to him since they're now in like job saving mode nah, i think they, i think if fields gone. is healthy he's getting the call i actually do think All that. right well I, either way uh that would help darnell mooney but also we we know the story with cole Komet. Reception floor only. Even this past game, we see it week in and week out. They take him off the field inside the 10-yard line. He needs to score a touchdown literally from outside the 30. Otherwise, he just won't score a touchdown. So that's just the way they use their tight ends, for better or worse. As for the Giants, Saquon Barkley turned 16 touches into 28 yards last week. Daigle, he's somehow the only playable guy on this Giants offense, yet is trending toward almost being not playable in fantasy. Where are we we with Barkley? Playable is relative it's kind as well since you're only playing him for a running back getting touches but there's no reason to believe he has any ceiling in this offense so much so that you know the cowboys have the number one defense in fantasy but since mike glennon has started the opposing defense against the giants 
is averaging more fantasy points than the Cowboys defense. So like the skeleton key for fantasy defenses is literally just playing whoever faces Mike Glenn and Jake Brom. It's that easy. Uh, you can't go to anyone in this offense. Even someone like Kenny Galladay is getting downfield targets, but he's only caught one pass 20 plus yards deep all year long. And like you're looking for red zone touchdowns, whereas he doesn't have a single touchdown the entire year. And this is a team that has helped score Devontae Booker, Elijah Penny, Kyle Rudolph, Dante Pettis, Chris Myrick, their fourth string tight end, Andrew Thomas, their left tackle. Those guys have touchdowns. Kenny Galladay does not. So it's literally just Barkley for the touches, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, and like Matt alluded to, they're not even like good touches anymore. It's just really, really sad. There's so many people. We need a better quarterback for Saquon Barkley. I was tweeting about, for, I have no idea why, on Thursday, that someone needs to trade for Darius Slayton. I want to see Darius Slayton on an actual yeah. football team. It's very sad. More importantly, it's we you know we still have two weeks left in the season, and the Giants under is already locked up under seven wins. So waiting for that ticket to hit the account. Can't even have a healthy Kadarius Tony and just total trash no. time for the Giants season. Can't have anything. Yeah, this guy, this guy's like already missed the most practices in NFL history. It's yeah. really, really quite something. It's it's frustrating to see like Josh Johnson go out and prove himself, even as a veteran, and like then you're still starting Mike Glennon. It's like like these guys are actually doing good off the bench, and you're just running these other two guys. Like Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm are analogies of one another. They're just the same player. I don't know what we're doing. And like Jake Fromm, like he people didn't even like him in college. Like his own university fans turned on him because he drove Justin Fields away and he capped their offense. It was not fun. Josh Johnson would be the Giants franchise player <laughs> if he if he was on the roster. Josh Johnson's about to have an incredible second career. He's going to play till he's about 45 and put up all kinds of gaudy numbers. He's had seven second careers already. Like he <laughs> he was true. also like the best quarterback in the uh the uh, AAF. Uh, was that the Wild? There you yeah. Go. That was the Wildcats, right? Los Angeles? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Wait, wait, wait. Why can't I'm sorry. Why can't he get a job? What what's what's the issue? Every time he plays, he throws for 350 yards and three touchdowns. What, what's the issue? I don't get it. He doesn't know the system. The cocoon. All right. The cocoon is strong. Okay. The Panthers travel to New Orleans to face the Saints, a total of 38 according to points bet. Saints favored by six and a half. And getting this back to struggling running backs, we've seen two straight duds for Alvin Kamara, 13 carries for 52 yards against the Dolphins on Monday night. So we think Taysom Hill is back here. Pat, does Kamara get right against the Panthers? Tell you what, I mean, it's hard to really judge too much from the television screen, but Alan Kamara did not seem like someone with a zest for life on Monday night. He seemed <laughs> like of all the Saints, like of the people who like needed the season to be over, he appeared near the top of the list. But that's just, I mean, how could you even fake it with Ian Book at quarterback? And like you said, Taysom Hill is back. They're touch, touchdown home favorites. The Panthers are dealing with a major COVID outbreak. Even if they get some of those guys back, Stephon Gilmore's looking like he's going to be out for week 17. Going to be an undermanned Panthers defense. We know like the Saints have no choice but to run, and that's going to be the emphasis with Taysom Hill. The Panthers kind of coming apart at the seams. They're allowing the 10th most running back fantasy points over the past month, and it, it, it doesn't feel great going back to Alvin Kamara, but – it's it was hard. I couldn't keep him out of the top twelve this week, and pretty sick, like at least a sixty to seventy rushing yard floor. Probably pretty good touchdown odds. Yeah, just a touchdown home favorite and a run first offense. You got to go back to the well. I am uh, legally 
obligated to say that the Panthers are a run funnel. All right, on to the next one. Quickly, quickly going back to Ian Book, we've already established that it's really hard to throw a check down pass to a running back, but there were a couple of plays in that game where you saw Book look right at Kamara, open in the flat and be like, nope, not going to do that. I'm going somewhere else with this thing. <laughs> it was absolutely <laughs> agonizing. I mean, Ian Book, I feel bad for them, but I'm still unclear on how he even got drafted. I saw a lot of Notre Dame games too, and he did not strike me as like a toolsy future NFL prospect. And, it's thrown into the fire Monday night, but uh, egads. That was the best case scenario for Ian Book. I don't feel sorry for him at all because, like, now the world believes that he played like that because of the offensive line. So he's going to get another start. <laughs> Whereas, like, we know that's not the case at all. So, yeah, he'll get another start. That's a good point. He's he, got alibis now. Uh, Dane Brugler had an undrafted grade on him. It's just the same. <laughs> who are egregious with their draft picks, reached in the fourth round. Like, Ian Book is literally a player who should have gone undrafted and then became a coach. Like, I honestly thought that's what he was going to do. I was shocked. And I saw him go in the fourth round. And, uh, you know, we saw him start on Monday. We saw things we cannot unsee. Yeah. Like Steph yeah. Curry, he changed the league. The league saw it. <laughs> the league saw it. He was literally a game changer. The league saw it and said, no more. Get these players back on the field. Ian Book ended COVID in the NFL. Congratulations to Ian Book. Yeah, they took Anthony Fauci hostage and got him to say, no, it's a good protocol. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, meanwhile, dark, dark times for the Panthers offense last week. Sixth round rookie Shy Smith led them in yards from scrimmage against the Bucks. Denny, can you feel good about anyone from the Panthers this week in fantasy, including DJ Moore? Uh, feel good? Feel, uh, no. feel okay. Yeah. Can you look yourself in the mirror and, and. No, you feel nothing. I mean, you don't, so you don't necessarily feel bad. You just feel nothing. Yeah, can you look yourself in the mirror and play DJ Moore? I think so. I think so. You look yourself in the mirror and see the man that used to be there, and you know that he's gone. That's right. That's right. And but you know the Saints have been really tough against the pass, as you guys know, for most of the season. Only the Dolphins and Cowboys have allowed a lower EPA per dropback since Week Nine. But, but Moore does have volume on his side. He has double-digit targets in each of the past four games, a thirty percent target share over that stretch. He's also uh, leading the team in air yards. So you know. Uh, you could do worse. You could do worse. It's still amazing that we're getting Sam Donald back under center. Like, we've already done this. I don't know what they're expecting <laughs> to see, especially because his fifth-year option they picked up is more like a faux fifth-year option. It's only $19.5 They can easily get out of it. It's no big deal. Every team will be clamming for a quarterback this offseason. So uh, it's just tough to go back to any of these guys. Cam Newton would have been the one, like last week. But then if he rotates, there's clearly no point in playing him, and that's all it is. Awful. We're headed down the back stretch of the NFL season, and the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet has you covered with Sunday Night 7. We are giving you a shot to win $1 million every Sunday night throughout the rest of the regular season. It is free and easy to play. So predict what will happen between the Packers, the Vikings and Packers for a chance to win. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. And we will answer one of the questions from the Sunday Night 7 coming up. First, though, let us preview the game. Sunday Night Football on NBC Minnesota at Green Bay, a total of 46.5 according to points bet. Packers favored by seven. Now, despite playing slowly, and we hear that a lot, we hear Pat Crane talk about how slow the Packers play on other episodes of this podcast. They've been getting into a lot of high scoring games. And the first time these two teams met, they combined for 65 points. Daigle, do you see this second meeting setting up to be a shootout? 
I don't know so much about shootout, even though we are it's looking like we are getting Dalvin Cook in this game. But either way, we know the Packers will have success just because Aaron Rodgers has been awesome and his quest to back-to-back MVPs looks like it's going to be down to him and Tom Brady at the end of the year. And now is Rodgers' primetime spot to show off since in his last five games, he's averaged 300 yards per game, 16 touchdowns, zero picks in that span with a 70.5% completion rate. Has just been amazing. We also know that's how they can attack this defense is through through the air with a little bit of Aaron Jones in the passing game. AJ Dillon mixed in as a early down grinder. So overall, like we know the options for the Packers, even getting MVS back and we have complete confidence in, in this matchup. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers seems to take like uh, pleasure in like torturing the Vikings too. And he has four, three touchdown performances in his past five games. He wasn't even particularly great by his 2021 standards on Christmas day. It still got the three against the Browns and, it's hard to see the Packers not holding up their end of the bargain. And the Vikings held up their end of the bargain in week 11 where Justin Jefferson went totally nuts. And no Adam Thielen this week. So it does set up really well for Justin Jefferson and KJ Osborne, kind of like this cleaning up and getting all those compiling targets. Well, since you just mentioned KJ Osborne, I do want to come back to the Green Bay backfield in a second. But let's talk about the secondary receivers in this game. Both of these guys put up pretty solid box scores last week. Alan Lazard, Found the end zone, two catches for 45 yards and a touchdown. Also dropped another end zone target, which was not maddening at all. K.J. Osborne, meanwhile, five catches, 68 yards, and a score against the Rams. Uh, Denny, how's the outlook for both of these guys uh, in this matchup, and do you have uh, one that you like better? Well, you know, Lazard doesn't really have a a ceiling or really a floor, honestly, if MBS is a full go. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to keep an eye on that. But if if MBS does not play, then Lazard, I think, becomes – you know, a, a low end wide receiver too, something like that in this matchup, the Osbo- Osborne thing, you know, like on the surface, it seems good. You know, he, he was targeted on 21% of his pass routes when Adam Thielen was out. Um, he, he did some stuff last week. I think he caught five balls on seven targets last week with Thielen in and out of the game. So he is involved, but man, the Packers are, it, it have turned into an extreme run funnel defense of late. We saw that against the Browns where the Browns were chasing points in the fourth quarter and just running it on every play. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, they, they're uh, by almost any measure, success rate, EPA, whatever the Packers are among the worst run defenses in the league. So I think the, the Vikings are, are, are going to try to going to try to do that before they, before they take to the, uh, to the air. And honestly, Osborne is so far behind Justin Jefferson in the you know priorities department that, I'm I'm a little skeptical of his wide receiver two three uh, status here. He can get there as a low end wide receiver three. He's way behind Justin Jefferson, but pretty much any time Adam Thielen's been out, he's been getting like six to at least six to seven targets. So I think if you are very desperate, you can go to him as a wide receiver. Do you have any information on Tyler Conklin for us, Denny? Since we are back in the same spot where he's basically their third receiver. Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't have any Conklin takes. Are you are you armed with Conklin takes? I don't No, I, I figured you'd be honestly. I was trying to tee you up. But apparently this is the one time oh, in your man. life the Conk daddy doesn't make it in your list. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 nothing. Uh, on In the target decoder, I only have Comet uh, and Higby. Those are my two. You drew the line with those two. Okay. The Conk daddy only has 10 total targets over the past three weeks, but five of those were last week after Adam Thielen got hurt. And that's what so, happens when Justin Jefferson is getting 48% of the targets. Back to the back, the Packers' backfield. Aaron Jones outtouched AJ Dillon seventeen to twelve last week. Dillon has thirty-five and fifty-six scrimmage yards the last two games, respectively. Pat, are we seeing this AJ Dillon balloon kind of 
uh, lose all its air right before our eyes. I mean, what what are you looking for from Dylan here? And is he really even a worthwhile start in season in redraft leagues? We have seen Aaron Jones reassert himself a bit after kind of his midseason malaise, but AJ Dillon's been held below 12 touches only one time in his past eight games. And you're in that 12 touch territory. You're definitely in the top 36. You're kind of nearing top 30 based just on workload alone. And the Vikings have held up from like a fantasy points perspective against running backs. They're kind of like middle of the pack in terms of running back fantasy points allowed both on the year and over the past month. But I mean, they're a bottom five run defense by most raw metrics. They allow almost five yards per carry. I think they're allowing like over 140 rushing yards per game. Packers are touchdown home favorites. It seems very difficult to believe that AJ Dillon won't get at least that 12 touch threshold. I think he could really get back in like that 15 to 18. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what the weather's like in Green Bay. I'm assuming the weather can't be great. In Green Bay, Wisconsin. Five degrees, I believe. It's going to be a brisk Yeah, one. so I can't imagine the weather is great. And that's right. They were asking A.J. Dillon about his experiences playing in bad weather on Thursday. So I, it's probably going to be a pretty run-heavy game script by the for the Packers, at least compared uh, to at least compared to their passing production. Like I so said, they still play slow. They still like to run. But the passing production's been off the charts the past five or six weeks. But, yeah, I think we can get A.J. Dillon bou- bouncing back to 15 to 18 touches and he's definitely he's definitely in the top thirty, and honestly, probably pushing for top. He played at Boston College. I mean, he had to play yeah. through some winter games, right? He did. He talked about his worst experience was at the Pinstripe Bowl in Yankee Stadium, where they had an unheated field, yeah. and he said he literally played in running shoes because, uh, like, the cleats just did. Did nothing. I know, say really? like AJ Dillon's biggest game last year was that not in snow? Or did, maybe maybe I just imagined that it was, it was against the Tennessee Football mm-hmm. Titans. Okay. He went nuts. Okay. Quickly, before we leave this game, quick around the room here, the Sunday Night 7 question, which I mentioned, who wins this game and by how much? The Green Bay Packers football company. They win and they cover. Aaron Rodgers continues the quest for MVP over Tom Brady. This is his spot to show off in primetime. Packers cover. Yeah, Packers crush. I, I just want to call myself out for saying that Washington would uh, would stick with the Cowboys last week. I, uh, <laughs> Man. Turns out I was not correct. You didn't need to, the lawyers had forgotten yeah. about that, but again, they're working tonight and tomorrow, and you just yeah. I'm, was, I, I'm, a, I'm an honest, I'm an honest analyst. Totally call, gratuitous accountability there, Denny. Totally uncalled for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last game we're gonna hit is the Browns at the Steelers. A total of 41 according to points bet. Cleveland three and a half point road favorites. Denny, this is not a term that I want to throw around. We don't want to just be casual with this, but no. some are saying this is a smash spot for Nick Chubb. More and more, really, are, are saying this, and and uh, and it is. I mean, I, I mentioned, you know, uh, oh, I mentioned about fifteen teams as a run funnel during the show, but but the the, the Steelers are the second most extreme uh, over the past four weeks. Uh, I should finish that sentence. Second most extreme. My, there goes my dog. He doesn't like a run He's funnel. Finishing for you. Uh, second most extreme run funnel uh, defense, and and the and the Browns, honestly, at this point, would do anything in order for Baker Mayfield not to throw the ball. Uh, Cleveland has a 54% neutral pass rate. That is among, it looks like, uh, bottom seven in the league. So, I mean, they're going to have to get down by a lot in order for Chubb to kind of be drummed out of the the game script here. I know Kareem Hunt is back, correct? He, He is playing this week, so. No, he's not practicing, actually. And he hasn't practiced even on as of Thursday since week 14. So still, they say he's going to play, but somewhat skeptical about how much he'll actually be used. Well, yeah, I, they, it, that would change the calculus a little bit for me. I mean, it's still a really good spot for for both 
Cleveland backs, but as far as like massive volume goes, um, uh, you know, I think, I think Hunt's Hunt status, you know, does uh, factor in there. And Baker clearly, whether he's injured or not, making extension talks for this offseason, very easy for the Browns to skate by. So, yes, we expect them to literally just lean on Nick Chubb in this one. All right. Najee Harris bounced back from his atrocious week 15, where he had, I think, 12 carries for 18 yards. Went for 110 total yards on 24 touches last week. Daigle, how does it look for Najee against Cleveland? You know what you're getting. Uh, His longest run of the year is 25 yards. His longest catch is 23 yards. Not explosive in this offense, but getting all the touches. Even as Anthony McFarlane continues to stay on the team's COVID list, they don't give Benny Snell or Caitlin Bellage any amount of touches. So you just know exactly what you're getting. You're going to get 12 to 18 touches, and you hope he scores a touchdown every single week. Pat, they're uh, they're saying this could be Big Ben's final game at Heinz Field. I'm not sure if you heard that, but just... My question is, any hope for one last hurrah for this passing game for old time's sake, Pat? One time, Pat? Yeah, no. Yeah, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Uh, you have no chance. He kind of seemed like he was coming back alive, reanimating in late November, <laughs> early December. Had like his best probably two or three game stretch the entire season, but turned back into a pumpkin the past two weeks. Under six yards per attempt in each of his past two games. Only one total touchdown, excuse me, two total touchdowns. He got a rushing touchdown uh, two weeks ago. But one of those bad games was against the Titans' pass defense that gives up a lot of aerial production, a lot of fantasy points through the air. He did nothing. Then he had the tough Chiefs' pass defense in Week 16, but you had a whole game of comeback mode and still couldn't get anything going, no compiling whatsoever. Under 160 yards each of the past two weeks. Bengals, or excuse me, the Browns are pretty solid overall pass defense. I mean, Miles Garrett against the Steelers offensive line. It's going to be not a touching home send-off for Ben Roethlisberger. All right, that's the end of nine games. This is the part where you guys mentioned what's coming up on the website or here on the podcast. And keep these rankings updated. I'm going to do my final Friday afternoon chat of the year on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern instead of 2 p.m. Eastern if you usually tune in. I know a lot of people tune in to all of our stuff, so yeah, I'll be on a 3 p.m. Eastern instead of 2 p.m. Eastern on Friday on uh, New Year's Eve. By the time you're listening to this, the DFS Building Block show for Week 17 will be in your feed most likely on Friday mornings as we are recording it Thursday afternoon. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Target Decoder up today uh, featuring great players such as Tyler Higby and Cole Clement. Hear me out, though. I mean, give it a chance, please. And then uh, Kicker Column was up on Tuesday. Lots of of good waiver wire options for Championship Week. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That will do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. I want to say thanks to everyone for listening and for watching live with us. Daigle, Pat, Denny, thanks to all of you guys. Happy New Year. Good luck in week 17. Denny, hang in there. About 31 hours to go. We're going to get there. (laughs) Let's go. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.